It's a travel book. Okay. It's about music around the world. The linking theme that runs through it is, why do we play music? Every culture on earth has music. I, I start out in there by talking about the oldest musical instrument. I think there's a picture in the front there. Okay. It's a bone flute from 42,000 BC. Yeah. It's three times older than the cave paintings at Lascaux. So we've always, everybody plays music. But, but why? Why does it have this powerful hold over us. So I traveled all over the world. Uh, I looked at a lot of the brain research and there's some really interesting things coming out about what's going on in the brain when we're uh, listening to music and kind of what's its core function. Because you have to realize that music for most of our history was not like music today where we've got an icon up on stage and everybody worships him and listens patiently. It was a real community event which I see all over the world in the African drumming and things like that. As opposed to being spectators, they're participants. Absolutely. And everybody sings and plays something or dances. I would think that movement, actually physically moving, brings a certain joy. It becomes addictive, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. You purposefully sought out indigenous musical genres. And then I went to hear the performances and talk to the musicians if, if they spoke English, which they usually did. Videotaped absolutely everything. So one of the things with this book is uh, on the website, I have short pieces of all this, uh, all the music in yes. the book. Throughout the book, you've got a little yeah. listen number one. Yeah. And, and... and so the ebook right now, you can just press on that link. And so on an iPad or a, a, a an iPhone, it'll just open right up. One of the things that I do with, with literary tourism is I will go to a country or a mm-hmm. region and I'll try and find out what the local publishing houses oh, are, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the small yeah. literary presses. And typically, you'll be able to find more of those in the bookstores than, mm-hmm. than others yeah. or, or elsewhere. It's, they're heavy there. So in a way, you've got a guide to how the world sounds. Yeah. Actually, I like that. That's a good line. I might use that. And so, how, what's the best way to use this, then? You go, you read your book, here's Cuba, okay, let's listen up mm-hmm. on Cuba. Why do that? Well, Cuba specifically, I, I lucked out there that I, uh, through a friend of a friend, introduced me to a guy in Cuba that was going to show me around. I had no idea who this guy even was. And it turned out he was one of the major mu- musical figures in Havana. And he took me to some places that no tourist is ever going to see, and told me a lot about following the rhythms on the slave ships over to Cuba and how this then developed into basically all Latin American music. I'd still footnote that by saying that I don't want to give the indication that it's an entire atlas of the world's music because that's no. impossible. No. So I did have to have this ongoing thread of why we play music. And why do we play music? To give you one example, when we sing together... One piece of brain research is that a hormone is released in the brain called oxytocin. And oxytocin is the same hormone that is released in the little goslings when they get imprinted on their mother and follow them along. So it's a hormone that exists in humans too. It exists when a mother gives birth to her infant and they're, they're both little brains are, are gushing with this oxytocin. That seems to like bond us together. Glue. And so, like a glue, like yeah. a glue, exactly. It really is a physiological thing happening in our brain. The music just, just draws us together. Even if we're listening to a completely, you know, you've got your kind of music in Cuba, but if you go over to uh, Norway, uh, they've got their kind of yeah. music. How does the glue work there? 
You mean if I'm listening to their well, music? Well, now let's say I'm Cuban and I'm listening to Norwegian music. Is that going to produce a bunch of oxytocin in my brain? I or? would think it might take a little more work, but I think it could be there. I went to Africa, to Ghana. There's slave forts right on the coast there. And then I heard some of the drumming there, and then when I went to Cuba, I thought, that's the same. And I said this to Alberto, and he goes, yeah, you're absolutely right. That came over on the slave ships, yeah. that exact rhythm. It's connecting continents, yeah, too. Absolutely. Isn't it? it can migrate. So what about things like place? If a literary tourist loves libraries, used antiquarian bookstores, goes to writers' festivals, if, if you love music, what do you do? First of all, I would say that uh, probably more than half of the performances in that book were not planned on my part. I was just somewhere, and the music just happened. Uh, I was telling a story this morning of um, being in Ireland, of course, and I went to a pub and I thought, well, there'll probably be some music tonight. And I asked the guy, there's going to be some music tonight. And he kind of looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> there's always music. Right, right. And it was just the local guys coming in with their little tin uh, penny whistles and things, and it was absolutely fantastic. So pubs, concert halls, um, festivals. I went to a Celtic music festival on the Isle of Lewis, way out in the Outer Hebrides off Scotland. And that was anything from local performers to some of the old bands like the Waterboys. I don't know if you're going to remember them. And yeah, it's Celtic music of all different types. And people coming from, there was a band there from Australia, but doing their kind of version of Celtic music. I think this had happened to me traveling before I ever really glommed onto the idea of this book, is that everywhere I went, there was music. Yeah. Whether I went searching for it or not, it, it kind of appeared. Now, what about the actual writing? Your travel articles have, have appeared in mm-hmm. National Geographic, New York Post, or the Walrus, Globe Mail. When you're writing about place, do you have a kind of a way of absorbing it? The idea that by writing about a place you either in fiction or non-fiction, obviously you get to understand it a bit better. So how, yeah. how, what's your process? Lots of notes, take pictures, lots of videotape. I might take some, some video of, of a musical performance, and that's kind of my A role that I, I know I'm going to use. But then I walk down the street and take all kinds of just random video of other things. And when I look at it later... I can see the color of a wall, or I can see uh, what the bicycles look like, or what the, what the clouds in the sky look like. And I use all of that in my writing. You document it. Absolutely. It's, I'm thinking of how the group of seven sort of went out to the Algonquin mm-hmm. Park and did their little version. Yeah. And took that back to the studio. In a way, you're, you're taking a quick look, and then yeah. you're not relying on your memory then. No, I, I do, as I said, take a lot of notes, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, other things. So I've got, I've got the sounds on the videotape, and that's not just the sounds of, of um, the music, it's the sounds of the traffic and the languages. I'm fascinated by languages. I remember one of the best compliments I got was from a, an elderly guy. He was probably 80 years old, and he, I, I knew his daughter, and she brought me over. You gotta meet my dad, you gotta meet my dad. He's reading your book, and, and he creaked out of his chair, and he said, Oh, you're Glenn Dixon. I'm in Turkey right now, he said. And to me, that was the perfect compliment. So that's what I'm aiming for. That you took I'm him there. Bringing the reader right along with me. Right. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you take someone to that place? How do you take the reader there? I think a lot of it is the sense 
data, not just not just visually, but the, the sounds and the, and the smells. Maybe even things like, you know, I can remember an instance where uh, I think it was in Bali. There was a lot of cinnamon colors on, on the temples. And I didn't, I didn't say the cinnamon colored temples, but I think I used that later somehow at sunset, maybe I called it the, the, a cinnamon sunset. And so I'm kind of like cross-pollinating yeah. different ideas. The cinnamon has all the color and a, a smell and a taste. I'd also say that I talk a lot with the people that live there. I know Marcello is exactly like this. We kind of tell our stories through the people that are there and our interactions with the people. And that's what seems to work the best. So maybe I'm the central narrator running through it, but, but you read any chapter in that book and you'll see that I'm talking to someone else and it's, it's their words. And what do you ask them? It depends what we're talking about, but in this case it's a lot to do with the, the musical performances. Like who's great on the local scene? You know, yeah, who's about. great on the local scene, or I remember... So this guy in Tuba, for example, Alberto, we were in a place called a, a rumba, which is not like a rumba in ballroom dancing. It is the, the rhythms from the slave trade that's been played on you know, wooden boxes and things like that in Cuba for 200 years. And I, I kind of pointed out to him that he, on, what I was seeing in front of me was the drummers were, were black and the singers were white. And I just pointed it out because I'm looking for information. And he turned to me and said, you know, in Cuba, music doesn't have a skin color. Of course, I'm jumping on my notebook. Yeah. There's a line I, I'm going to yeah. use, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I how great that. novelists work, too. Of sure. Course, you yeah. know, they sit around to cafes and they eavesdrop. Yeah, capture the real, the real thing. You've got a theme, you've got a focus, yeah. Yeah. and then it's sort of questioning and observing as much as you can. Yeah. So how does all of this help you understand the place better? Do you feel, because you've talked to a lot of people, do you feel that... A greater connection to the, to the place? I think a, a greater connection to the music when I'm speaking specifically about the music. So, mm-hmm. for example, I went to India and I, I didn't just go to India to quietly listen. I went online and I looked for a place where I could take sitar lessons. Kind of had George Harrison in the back of my mind, you know, right. the Beatles thing. Just for like a month or three weeks? Yeah, or it was, that was about there. three weeks, yeah. It was in Varanasi, which is the, a holy city, and it was right on the Ghats, which are those platforms on the Ganges River. It was back maybe 20 meters from there. And his family had been musicians so far for 400 years. And he was showing me the sitar. I'm, I'm a guitar player, so I yeah, thought I was oh, say, that won't be too hard. It was nothing the same at all. So most of it consisted of him playing and, and, and telling me about Indian classical music, which is very complex and very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have got half of that out of a book. To have him there and explaining and, yeah. and how showing. the notes are going. Yeah, yeah. showing. Yeah. yeah. And I was lucky in that case that I did have... Actually, in that case, it was just my little iPhone because it was quite a dark little room. Yeah. So I just put on the iPhone on record, like video, and yeah. not much shows up on the video, but there's the sound of him playing and then stopping and pausing and telling me about this or that scale or this raga of the morning. And, uh, yeah. It's a bit like drawing parallels with the with literary approach to tourism, signing up for a, a writing workshop or, or going to a festival, going to a writer's mm-hmm. festival. And, and working your trip around that event. What was your favorite music festival that you, you attended? I, actually, I think that Celtic Music Festival was the only real festival where mm-hmm. there was a whole bunch of professional bands right. that came to it. Others were specific performances. I went to a place in 
in Ghana for the African drumming. I'd done a lot of research beforehand, and I knew of one particular village where every Friday night they half the village comes down and they bring out the drums and it's supposed to be you know among the best in in the world for their for their polyrhythmic drumming and yeah that was really fantastic and they went way into the night just drumming and drumming and drumming getting you into trance trance yeah yeah, yeah absolutely what you've done here you know going across the planet do you feel like you want to do more of this to sort of continue to explore the world in this way yeah i think I'll, I'll keep going in this way my first book was about languages around the world which is, again is a massive topic and i think the subtitle of that one was uh, a journey into the six thousand languages of earth so there's, I mean, there's no way i'm going to touch six thousand languages i might have talked about 27 or 32 in the in the book yeah. but the same kind of thing i'm you know i talked a lot about chomsky and I did my master's degree in linguistics, so I was able to bring in a lot of this and use this language to show this and use this language. Do you speak how many different languages? I, smatters of uh, French and German and Spanish, really, that I've picked up on my travels, but 300 words, maybe, something like that. Very, very simple conversations. I make it a point to, to learn a little, you know, thank you and goodbye and hello yeah. and pretty much anywhere I go. Any connections between the sound of the languages and the sound of the music? Absolutely. That was, so that was a big thing in this book, is that they are almost like two sides of the same coin. There's a lot of uh, research. In evolutionary terms, they're kind of two branches of the same tree. It's both, both of them are the auditory cortex, right? So in language, I mean, now we're so uh, enmeshed in text on the page. But for most of our history, it was simply spoken, right? Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. entirely auditory. And same thing for music. It was entirely auditory. So there's a lot of overlap. So that was one of the fascinating things about this book. I'm just thinking of Bruce Chatwin's yeah. uh, song lines. Song lines, yeah. And the way they basically discovered the territory yeah. and measured it using song. Yeah. Shows you how central it is to survival. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was after in this book. If every culture has music, and every culture that has ever existed has music, why? It's not like opposable thumbs, or it's not like standing upright, or cooking fires. Yeah. Why? Well, what's its survival mechanism? As I said, I, I think where people are going, and, and there's still lots of research to be done, but there's really come a long way in the last four or five years, I'd say. And I think what they're leaning towards is it's, it's a real community bonding thing, mm-hmm. which you have to understand in the total history of, of humankind, how important yeah. that was for a community. Well, I think, you know, with Chatwin, it's a way of knowing the, the land, yeah. the territory, I yeah. guess. Discovering it and uh-huh. remembering. <laughs> and remembering. Yeah, that was a great book. So what's next? Uh, well, without revealing any trade secrets, I'm kind of on to another... As you just said, these, these two books, one on language, one on music, both huge topics, and they really, and I didn't plan it this way, mm-hmm. they both complemented each other and they both sort of wove in with each other. So, I mean, writers always think in terms, and publishers always think in terms of trilogy. So what's the third book? <laughs> and I thought, well, what, what is the same as these two? And really nothing was. I mean, it could be food, it could be wine, but it's, that's not the same. As language and music really are two halves of the same thing. So what I'm about to start on now is two more books that's kind of a dualism. We're not going to be talking about exactly what that well, is. Well, I'm, I'm, toying, I'm toying with the idea of love and 
maybe not love and hate, but love and war. Um, I've been to a lot of places that I haven't written about yet, like Bosnia, uh, the Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia, and I just got back from Verona doing a little exploratory. That was the setting for Romeo and Juliet, yes, of course, right? Say, so, yeah. uh, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff there, like Juliet's balcony. It was in the news recently. I don't know if they were going to pull down the building. I don't oh, know, God, they, I I don't not. know that they would, but yeah. One idea is to take a great text on love and then go to that place. So that was the, the Verona idea. And yeah. one thing that really surprised me was, in fact, that house is from the 1200s. It belonged to the Capuletti family since the 1200s. So there really was a Capulet family. There's a, a great book that I just came across, and it's yeah. called Shakespeare in Italy. Someone, ah. someone spent about 40 years drawing the parallels. And, interesting. And what, what's so interesting about it from this Shakespearean scholarship perspective is this proves that whoever wrote he was there. They were there. That's and there's right. a, a fine example, right? The Capuletti House since the 1200s. Yeah. Thank you very much for this. Oh, you're more than welcome. What about musical instruments? Do you collect musical yeah. instruments? Small ones, right? Because I'm, I'm usually traveling with a backpack. I'm a crazy-ass book collector. So. Yeah, so you understand. <laughs> I yeah. understand completely, yeah. But it's neat when they're little, little things, right? Yeah. You're pretty happy. When... So do you actually try and acquire as many as you can or not? unwieldy isn't it? it's, it's unwieldy so yeah, yeah some small ones I, I try and get my hands on all of them when I'm over there right. I, I, I was trying that at the African drums I spent an afternoon with a guy and uh, it was actually really hard because there's little pings that you get that I spent like an hour trying to get this right kind of ping and you go it's not right <laughs> right yeah and so I, I try to play all the instruments yeah one of the things that was important for me there's kind of a old school would be kind of ethnomusicology and it's kind of like pitting the butterflies on the, in, into their little phylums and species, right, about instruments and different kinds of musics. And I, I think it's moved away from that in the last five years. And uh, I'm getting the sense, I'm not a complete expert, I'm not the researcher, but I'm getting the sense that we have much more in common yeah. in the music of the world and the different scales than we do differences. And of course the instruments are different, but really... You know, a good example might be in Middle Eastern music and the uh, Muez and this, this singer on, in, in uh, the call to prayer. And you hear all these weird quarter notes, which to our ears is really kind of strange. But in fact, this song, if I can call it that, never stops on those. It's never the first note. They're kind of in-between notes. And we do that all the time, too. Yeah. We have B.B. King, you know, squeezing, the bending his strings on Lucille. And it, that's the same thing. They maybe just hang on them a little bit more pronounced. So really I think it's coming to that we're mostly the same in our well, music. What, and what's so wonderful is that there, there's just a slight difference but when you bring it together there's it just becomes that more Absolutely. complex yeah. and rich yeah, yeah. and yeah. they don't you know often they'll work together right? They're, yeah. They're, it's yeah. not that they're you know clashing necessarily. Sure. And that's yeah. the big thing that's happening now is fusions yeah. of different different types of music and I love it. Great. Well, yeah. thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Nigel. Nice to meet you. You too. Yeah.